Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 221 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan. Joining me, as always, is my friend Ben. Hello. And my friend Sam. Uh, second billing. You got first billing the last couple weeks. It's I gotta keep it changed up, but also not have any particular method to it. Um, happy holidays to both of you, as it is now the holidays. And certainly not being recorded well in advance of the holidays so that we can travel and stuff during the holidays. That's true. And a happy Thanksgiving to you too, Tristan. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, <laughs> thank you. So, this episode... We are going to talk about 2020, the year in magic. Uh, obviously, we don't know what it's going to look like yet, but we have some educated guesses, and we have some hopes and some expectations, and we will be talking about those. That's going to be the plan. It's kind of a sister episode to the uh, last week's episode about 2019. Uh, so if you have listened, if you have not listened to that one, that one will do a good job of setting the scene for this one. Uh, and then we'll see how we did next at the end of next year. And maybe run another cycle of these two types of shows at the end of next year. Um, so, without further ado, let's start by thanking our good friends and illustrious friends of the podcast over at Patreon.com. The illustrious friends are Kiki Jiki, Winchester, Kyle, Moosers Bot, and Will. Thanks so much. Uh, and the good friends are Adam, Matt, Britton, Kyle, Caroline, Eric, Zach, Sam, Duncan, Batiste, Wilson, Tobias, Paul, Jarvis, Costly, you. Booster Therapy, Greg, Hot Soup, Ari, Ari, and Phil. Thanks so much. Um, we do also have a question of the week coming to us from Corey, who asks, Hello there, big friend of the podcast. Or big fan of the podcast, <laughs> rather. Man, friend of the podcast is just uh, rolling off the tongue automatically. Uh, my friend loves his Rowan Fearless Spark Mage and plays it all the time. Uh, this is a commander deck. Unfortunately, his deck lacks in a lot of areas. What would be a few good cards he could play... That would play well with his Rowan and increase his winning consistency. Uh, so, Benjamin, are there any any red cards that you'd add to a Rowan Fearless Spark Mage deck in the dark? Um, well, as I understand it, Rowan is good at both like making your creatures high power and then also like making it hard for your opponent to block your creatures. So, I would probably and also, as I understand it, like. Um, Generally, when you're just playing at the kitchen table or whatever, like mid-range cards are probably best. So, like maybe cards that like help you draw cards or uh, maybe sort of lengthen the game are sort of the most fun. I'm just gonna like browse through Mythic Spoiler real quick. I actually think Torbran is a is could be a good pick as a card that combos really well with Rowan Fearless Spark Mage. Um, I think Bone Crusher Giant is also like a good like card advantage creature that you can play. Um, that's just like pretty efficient. Um, I like cards. Cards like Prophetic Flame Speaker, maybe. That's that nice. was the one I was gonna recommend. Hell, oh, you, yeah. you that card is from like card. that card from Board of the Gods. Journey into Nyx. From Journey into Nyx. Yeah, it's that card really, is very really good, good with, with Rowan. Yeah, it's really good with Rowan. I was gonna su- also suggest Dreadhorde Arcanist as it's a similar oh, card. Yeah. A prophetic flame speaker and works really well with Rowan's plus ability. So yeah, I, w- I would look for cards like that. Cards that do things when they hit the enemy player or that trigger based off of their power. Mm. Uh, lots of so yeah, effects like that uh, seem seem like a pretty good place to start. Uh, just general, I don't know, big expensive red cards that do a lot of di- you know powerful stuff as well. Like uh, what what was that card that we were talking about last week, Benjamin Mizium Mastery or something? Mizix's Mastery. Mm-hmm. 
Mizzix's oh, the fake mastery? card that Ben likes as opposed to all the fake cards that Ben yeah, hates. Yeah, Mizzix's Mastery. That card is not very good with Rowan, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, but it's, it's just, a, like, if you're trying to power up your red commander deck, this card probably does that, right? Like, well, just, Why do you think it's a commander deck? I think it's a commander deck. Well, Rowan Fearless Spark Mage can't be a commander, so... Oh, maybe it's a brawl deck. That would be weird. I actually don't know what format this <laughs> this question I'm is about. I'm pretty sure it's just someone's... Someone Kitchen deck. Sable deck? Yeah, or like the 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 dual decks. There's a Rowan versus Oko. Oh, so. dude, that probably is it. Yeah. Okay. Then in that case, Mizzix's Mastery probably not quite what you were looking for. No, uh, and if I recall correctly, the Rowan deck is red white. So okay. You could also maybe play some of the um, uh, some of the white grindier cards like Acclaimed Contender. I think there is a, an Acclaimed Contender in the like starting. Rowan versus Kenrith deck, but also, I mean, if we're going to name old cards, like Rowdy Crew is a is a card very near and dear to my heart from a long time ago. If you have, uh, if you like rolling, if you like some randomness, draw you when it it's a three three for four mana. When it enters the battlefield, you draw three cards and discard two at random, so it replaces itself. It's like a nice little three three draw card when it enters the battlefield. But there's some randomness in your life, and then also if you discard two cards that share a type, it gets two plus one plus one counters. Um, and then it, then it's a 5-5 five, five trample instead of a 3-3 three, three trample. So that card is really cool, and I like it a lot. Maybe Path of Metal, then? If we're, if we're red-white, Path of Metal is a red and a white for a legendary enchantment. Deals one damage to each creature that doesn't have first strike, double strike, vigilance, or haste. And you could give your creatures first strike uh, with Rowan. Or, or you can team up the one damage with Rowan's damage to kill bigger things of your opponents. And then whenever you attack with at least two creatures that have first strike, double strike, vigilance, and or haste, uh, you get to transform it into uh, Metzali Tower of Triumph, a land that lets you uh, deal damage to opponents or destroy creatures that attacks this turn. Uh, so that seems like a pretty nice combo there as well. Path of Metal? I don't know. These are just some ideas. would certainly help to know more about the specifics of the, of the deck, but uh, anyways, let's move on from that question. Hope that has helped, Corey. <laughs> Not <laughs> just been us giving random cards that were illegal in the format you were about asking about. Uh, let's move on to our card of the week. Benjamin, what is your card of the week, and would it go well in a deck with Rowan Fearless Spark Mage? My card of the week is the Acroan War, and I believe the answer is yes. The you will have to War... wait a little bit for it to be printed, of course. Yeah. yeah. The Acroan War is a card that was spoiled for uh, Theros Beyond Death. It is uh, a saga, so sagas are coming back, for three and a red. The first chapter is gain control of target creature for as long as the Akroan War remains on the battlefield. The second chapter is until your next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able. And then the third chapter, which notably will happen after your opponent attacks with all their creatures, is that each tapped creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. So this card, I think, is really sweet. And I think is a really powerful card, actually. Yeah, it looks like, kind of busted to me. I don't know about busted, but like control magic is a very powerful card. And while you don't get to control their creature forever, you do get to control it for, uh, let's see. I mean, it doesn't attack you for one turn and then you, you get, get, you get one attack with it. You get one attack with it. Okay. So or that's one not block that with it. Like your opponent's yes, got creatures or, that yeah. have to attack and you can, you can just block and then, you know, it also dies. If it's, if it's got more power than toughness or an equal amount, then it dies instead of going back to them. 
Yeah, it, it feels like you can get a pretty easy two-for-one by just taking one of their creatures and then blocking another one of their creatures. Like, that doesn't seem that hard to pull off to me. I mean, their, cre- their creatures just are... Like, the, you, need, you need to get rid... Okay, so the, the problem with this is that you're... Like, if you try and have the creature you stole die to Chapter 3, it won't work because it will be untapped because it'll be the start of your turn. Um, so, you yeah, you need to trade off your creature, the creature that you steal, if you want it to die for good, actually. It won't... Uh, yes. It won't die by itself, yeah. Uh, I agree. It's easy to get a pretty... I feel like it's easy to get a two-for-one if they have two creatures. If they don't have two creatures, then you can just attack with it, and it will die itself to the Akron War. Um, Wait, so no, I feel like why this, will it die itself to no, the Akron War? No, it won't. Even if it, die, even if it attacks, there's no way for the creature that you've gained control of to... Because oh, it'll be yeah. untapped at the start um, of the turn. Unless it has, like, a tap ability or something. Right, yeah. Okay. That, obviously, that's, you know, the best of all worlds, but rarely I do see. creatures with tap abilities have more power than toughness. Or have, have you know... A high power, though. Okay, I was going to say that this sort of passes the test of being good if they have one creature and being good if they have two creatures. But now that you point that out, it actually doesn't It does. Pass. It, it does pass the test of being good if they have one creature because you're just going to kill them. Like, you, okay, you play this, you I mean, gain control of their creature, you pass the turn. They can't play another creature or it will just have to attack you into the creature you stole. So then you get to attack them with all of your stuff. Uh, and then, you know, so it, it's it's like a card that it's it's like a mind control for uh two turns that stops them from playing creatures for a turn that's pretty good yeah it's possible and then of course if you just have a card like witch's oven or um cavalier of night or you know any of the many 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 ways or corvald you know to sacrifice a permanent then you can just get value out of the the creature that you steal regardless of if you uh if they have more creatures or not right yeah, and uh, definitely effect that tap creatures are nice for this too. If you uh, need to find a way, but I think mostly mostly this card is just going to function without needing to squeeze anything out of it. I think it's just going to be highly effective on chapter on just the natural synergy of the chapters. Yeah, but it's a very cool red four drop. Like the red four drop space is pretty. They print a lot of red four drops, so they have to be pretty good to see play. But I th- this one is really cool to me and, and does something pretty unseen in in recent uh, magic cards. So, Can we also talk about how great the flavor is? That's the part that I'm drawn to of this card. Yeah. Like, Go this it, is Sam. such a great top-down for the Trojan War. Like, step one is a creature from their camp leaves to come to your camp, like Helen leaving to come to Troy, be- being kidnapped. Then step two is all their creatures go to war to try to get their creature back. And then step three is like the carnage and toll of the war being taken. And I, I I think it's really like, this is the first saga to me, I guess, I guess some of the other sagas, I guess the fall of the Thran kind of felt like it told us a story, but this feels like a really just a great, like I, I feel like I got each of the chapters and it all made sense and it all comes together to tell like a really cool story. I'm super into this card. Yeah, this may be the best card ever made um, in terms of, like, the flavor matching the effects and the flavor telling a good story and the effects telling an interesting gameplay, you know, story. It could be. It's 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 not impossible that it will be the best card ever made. All right, Benjamin, or sorry, Sam, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Barrel's Cage. It's four mana for a, uh, a poly artifact that says target creature... Does not uh, a three target creature does not untap as normal during its controller's next untap step. 
And Tristan, this is a question specifically for you. Um, who was imprisoned in Beryl's cage? Without looking it up, please. Uh, Beryl. Mm, no, Oof. I'm a f- I well, feel like kind was, of maybe. I feel like that was my best guess given the circumstances. So it, it, the, the Ben actually got this question right when I asked it to him. The answer is if the uh, the the high arcanist, arc, yeah. But if you read the flavor text of the card Dark Sphere, which is also from the dark, same as Beryl's Cage, it is attributed to Beryl, comma Lord Ith. <laughs> so there seems to have been a retcon at some point that Ith was a different person than Beryl, and that Lord Ith was imprisoned in Beryl's cage. Rather than uh, it being the cage of Beryl, Lord Ith. Right. Yeah, that that caged him. Interesting. Um, (laughs) Very cool card of the week. All right. My card of the week is Decorated Knight. Decorated Knight is three and a blue for a 3-3 human knight. Uh, It has Adventure, Present Arms. Uh, So the Sorcery Adventure for two and a blue is Exchange Your Library with another deck you own from outside the game. Shuffle Your Library. Uh, and then the creature side of it is just a, a 3-3 human knight. Whenever it attacks, draw a card from your original deck if it's outside the game. Uh, this is the holiday promo for this year, and it's a pretty cool one. So that's my card of the week. Would you like to tell an interesting story or some other fact about the card, perhaps? Uh, you can do that, Benjamin. Are you sure that you pronounced the name of its adventure correctly? Right. Present arms, present arms. Pretty cool. If you were to play with this card, do you think you would use it more to steal another player's, like, to, to take somebody's library without their permission in a game you were participating in, or to just, like, uh, you know, get a library? Well, you exchange your library you... with another deck you own from outside the game. Sure, but, like, what if you lent a deck to a friend? Do you think it's kosher to take it back from them in the middle of a game they're playing? Oh, yeah, well, you, ex- you You do an exchange, so you would give them your library. Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, so that plays. Do you yeah. think you could actually... It's a silver-bordered to... card. Of yeah. course that plays. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and then you can keep drawing cards from their deck. So you can just, like, if you're, play, if you're sitting next to them and they're playing their own game, you could just wait until they scry something good to the top and then attack with your decorated knight and just draw it from their deck. Ooh, Ooh yeah, that's smart. Love the sound of that. Yeah, I might have to build <laughs> build some deck that does that. Um, all right, yeah, cool card though. That's the holiday promo is always a fun one. Some of them have been misses, but I think this one's pretty good. Um, let's talk about our main topic now, which is the year twenty twenty, where uh, there are a couple of cards that or sets that are coming out. So we've got Theros Beyond Death, which of course we already have some spoilers of. Uh, this is a set that's very exciting to me personally because I really liked the original Theros. Um, I mean, that was the, my first Magic set, so I have a lot of nostalgic memories about it, uh, and it's cool to see it revisited now. Uh, and, yeah, w- w- are you guys excited for, for returning to Theros from the cards we've seen so far, or the, the story, the setting? Yeah, you know, I think I am. I, I feel like I didn't like Constructed that much when Standard was, or when Theros was legal, but I feel like looking back on it, it it actually seems like it would would have been a lot of fun. I think I was just more into limited at the time. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to those kinds of cards coming back. Like, I think... I, I like Devotion. I think it's a pretty cool mechanic. I'm a little worried about Escape right now. Um, yeah, that's a little, but, a little spooky. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Hopefully they have a... a, a 
hopefully they can they figured out like how to keep it not as repetitive as possible um and i like the flavor of theros a lot uh and i think like you know having a a story about characters like coming back from the dead and escaping the underworld is pretty cool so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah it'll be interesting to see the story i don't know that this it seems like the kind of thing that is going to be a challenge for them to tell the story in a way that moves everything forward in just one set you know where previously they would have had a whole block to kind of show things happening yeah uh, but it but it's not an accident right like if they wanted to have more sets to tell the story, yeah, they, they could would have. have. Yeah, that's true. So it seems like it's it's not like they're going to have to cram everything into a small true, true, time true, frame. True. It might just be that the story they wanted to tell is a short one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, how about you? What, what do you think of looking at Theros Beyond Death so far? Yeah, I'm pretty hyped for it. I, I really liked the original Theros setting. Um, I thought that the mechanics were actually pretty sweet and that the, the set generally played well. So I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what it what it ends up bringing. Uh, Constellation I thought was a decent mechanic. I, I think I like it less than other people seem to, given the general uproar when it wasn't in you know in as many as many parts of the last block as it could have been. Um, but I really liked the gods. I thought I honestly I kind of thought that the first execution they did of the gods was the best one. So. Well, the uh, second execution at Hazaret and the Scarab Gods, so... <laughs> yeah, so I'm hoping to see, you know, the gods work out again. Um, I, th- I, th- I think that, that could be really fun. Um, I, I really love Thassa, and I, I like those limited formats a lot as well. So, yeah, I, I would say overall pretty pretty optimistic for it. Mm-hmm. I want to see Heliod get what's coming to him. <laughs> yeah, One I thing mean, he does. He's, he's yeah, going down, I, I think. I believe he will. One thing yeah. I am nervous about is uh, that article that was that was published, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, apologizing for uh, the way that the the previous M sets went down, or the, the previous couple sets went down, saying sort of, you know, we're ratcheting up sets to a new power level, and Eldraine was cited at be as being at the low end for that wait they said eldrin was at the low end or sorry n- maybe no. not at the low end they said but high end not above not uh, not at an at a crazy high end yeah they said it was the high end of acceptable if i recall correctly sure so uh that has me a little concerned yeah you're just a little same. concerned that there's just going to be too big a chance of things being brokenly oppressive at that uh average yeah. power level yeah, yes. c- certainly, you know, Eldraine was not, does not instill confidence, but uh, I know magic design is generally fairly good, and uh, I'm willing to give it another shot. If, if this runs the same way, then certainly I'll be a lot more skeptical going forward. Um, Elspeth definitely spooks me a little bit, like a four-mana Planeswalker with flashback indefinitely. Uh, Escape in general just just looks pretty spooky to me, I don't know, like... I mean, Elspeth is, like, really not a Planeswalker in the traditional sense, though. Yeah, that, that's like, true. Having all minuses is just such a different dynamic than... That's true, that's true. A Planeswalker, she, she's really not like, a Planeswalker. Like, building towards an ultimate. Like, Elspeth is more like a spell with indefinite flashback than it is a Planeswalker with indefinite flashback. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see how, that, how Elspeth turns out. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it could play really well. It could also play poorly. So, like... Escape just kind of looks to me like dredge. 
trying to sneak back into the party. Like, you know, you kick Dredge out of the party and it, sh- it shows back up with well, a fake ID and, like, a costume. Like, hang <laughs> it's on a second. Pretty, it's pretty different, I think. Like, Dredge is one of these enabling mechanics where, like, you know, the 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 ability itself is not particularly remarkable. Like, right, but it's it, not like casting those spells over and over is really going to help you win the game with Dredge. The The problem with Dredge is that it just lets you mill yourself too efficiently for no cost. Like, I mean, have you played right. against Stinkweed Dip and Limited? Yeah, I have. It is annoying. It's it, it, There, you're, not, you're often not enabling any ridiculous graveyard things. You're just casting the same spell over and over again, and that's I, not very fun. I was speaking from a constructed standpoint. I agree with you, though. In- it's true that Dredge was both the card that you drew out of the graveyard and the card that milled you. So that, like, those being on the same card. But then you did have to, like, you know, with with escape, you don't have to draw a card to draw your escape card out of your deck. You just have to cast it from your from your graveyard, right? So if you have one card that mills you for 10, you've, all the escape cards you found, plus all the other stuff is fuel for them. Um, I agree that it is spooky. Yeah, I'm deeply spooky. I, I think it is very different from Dredge as a mechanic. It is much closer to Flashback. Right, which was flashback is a just like very a powerful, widely mechanic, beloved, excellent mechanic. Mm, but flash, like something that is flashback, but twenty percent more powerful, could easily be that could be a big problem, right? Um, like flashback is a powerful mechanic. Yeah, but uh, again, I just I don't like the comparison to dredge. I, I think that given given how the like putting an escape card in your graveyard and putting fuel for it in your graveyard can be done with the same action. I think it's reasonable to uh, to draw a comparison there. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's continue. So that's the only set that we really know about. We do know there's going to be a silver bordered offering with new silver bordered cards, but not like a full set. They're like I don't know precon decks, silver bordered precon decks called unsanctioned. So that's going to be, I guess, a fun thing to look forward to. This is the first time you've been hearing of it. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a better way to release silver bordered cards to me, like sort of a, a slow drip as opposed to all all at once. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of silver border like as a concept. I actually like I quite liked Unstable. That was fairly fun, but it has a pretty limited shelf life for me. Like, I, I, it's not something I really want to do multiple drafts of. So, uh, like, I feel like you, you mine through. There's pretty quick diminishing returns on fun moments in silver bordered before you're just seeing the same things over and over. Yeah, I think with Unstable, they, like, played around with draft mechanics a lot, right? Like, watermark mattering and, like... Yeah, that was cool. I, um, I like that. The meld creatures, or the... Yeah. Merch. I don't know what they were called. Um, so, I, and I, mean, I think that's space that you can't mine without, like, making a full set and releasing it in booster boxes or whatever. Um, so... I I think though that I agree that the constructed like some some silver bordered constructed offering is maybe more efficient use of their resources, um, but it will be different because you won't be able to to play off the limited stuff. But you can probably just play off constructed stuff in a similar but different way. Yeah, for for me, it's like if I don't know, it felt like unstable had you know a handful of a quality jokes and then some jokes that were not as good. And so I'd prefer if they just like every time they had an a quality joke, you write it down and you put it in the pile. And then by the end, you know, by the time 
the set rolls around, you have you know, you're like, oh, we've collected enough a quality jokes to release this, and then it's all they're all funny. Um, that's okay. kind of what I'm hoping for. But have you considered that by virtue of being on this show, none of us has a very good track record of knowing what an a quality joke is? Well, I mean, there's something to you know. I I can recognize what the thing by omission. <laughs> Man, no I, game recognize no game. I could yeah, have, exactly. And I, thus, game I, recognize game. I could have written this thirty second exchange thirty seconds ago. I could have predicted it actually almost entirely, <laughs> uh, except for that weird bit at the end about no game recognize no game. I, that was that was a corner. No, that was no, a no one but Ben White's could have ever said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> then later in the year, we've got some other sets. Of course, Ikoria, Lair of Behemoths. So that's where Kiora came from. Uh, I, I, something we don't know very much about, but uh, is an exciting setting. I'm looking forward to it. M21, uh, and then Zendikar Rising, also on the docket here. Uh, Zendikar M21 is going to be Teferi themed. Cool. Cool. Wait, 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 I'm excited about that. Hold on. What did you say? It's Teferi themed. They announced that. Oh, M21? Oh no! They announced it to sort of a collective groan from everyone who was like, "Could we just not instead?" <laughs> so you know how M M twenty was Chandra themed. This one's going to be to like that, but to fairy. Oh, um, that's good. Oh. Yeah, it's that's good. You know, maybe we can get like a four mana to fairy. I've really felt like there haven't been four mana to fairy planeswalkers that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They'll just reprint Teferi 3 and Teferi 5. Oh, yes. <laughs> design one new Teferi. And we're like, everyone loves playing with these cards, right? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> and then we're returning to Zendikar for... So this will be our third time on Zendikar. Um, fairly cool, I, hope, I guess. Yeah. I hope now that all the Eldrazi are done, we, like we can do the adventure theme again. Yes. That was that, really cool. That was, uh, so recently Mark Rosewater released a like ranking of all 29 sets or whatever that he's done. Uh, and battle for Zendikar. He, he was like the big problem with this was that we focus so much on this battle with the Eldrazi instead of the Zendikar setting, which was what was popular about Zendikar in the first place. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to go back and re have that feel that feeling. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited. I I think Zendikar is a really cool setting, and totally agree with the problems. You know, the the, the problems caused there being uh, ha- having more to do with the focus than with anything you know specific or inherent to the setting. I'm glad they're I'm glad they're going back there even after Battle for Zendikar was. I I love cards that have like little mini quests in them. Like Dreadhorde Arcanist is a card that like you can go on a quest to like increase its power and then you like get a better card out of it or whatever. And the last time, like Zendikar literally has a mechanic called quest counters. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful for this. I, I love little side quests. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm hopeful as well there. Uh, so a year of at least, you know, three exciting settings in our, in our future here. Um, Magic has been exciting setting after exciting setting, I'd say, for the past couple of years. It hasn't really been that hasn't really been a, a plane I've been unexcited to visit. Um, yeah, the creative team has been doing a pretty great job the last uh, year, year two, year and a half or so, right? Yeah, I've I've been really impressed. I think even sort of with the formats that I haven't liked that much, um, the settings have usually just 
been incredible and like really really killing it i like, love even in eldraine yeah El- i think eldraine was really cool uh ixalan i thought even though like i didn't really care for the for the set i didn't think it played that well the the setting was was amazing yeah i, th- I thought it was a really well-built world and uh i don't know a lot of nostalgia for places gets built up based on how fun the cards were to play but trying to remove that and think about the the places more objectively it's all been it's all been great okay uh so with that with that kind of talking about those parts of the game that are a little bit less are up our alley let's transition back to talking about Wait, excuse me this is a lore podcast sorry <laughs> I, d- I didn't mean to besmirch your lore I mastery. Mean, I know you failed the Barl's cage test already, but yeah, he failed. To, he failed to pass the Barl's cage. <laughs> I was going to call it the Barl exam, but that, that's good. Um, uh, okay, so uh, based on the previous year's patterns, are how how excited are you, Sam, for just the the year in Magic? Is there anything that you're excited? For that's been announced for the the new the new coming year, uh, anywhere you'd like to start discussion there, or anything you're particularly worried about? Uh, I'm I'm really actually quite excited for Acoria. I know like we don't know that much about it, but something in the name of it like kind of speaks to me. I don't really know why. I kind of feel like we're gonna get dinosaurs back there. Um, so you know, I'm excited to reunite with my old friend uh, Colossal Dreadmaw. Yeah, and. <laughs> See a forced claw. New best yeah. friend is Colossal Dreadmaw. And, and the, I don't know for some for some reason that that set sounds really cool to me, even though I like I said know basically nothing about it. Um, and then in the sort of competitive like playing side, I am uh, I would say nervous for next year. Uh, the you know the, where it's going to be the first year of the Players Tour with the Players Tour preliminaries and Players Tour final events. And uh, one of the things I'm really hopeful for is that I will get to see my international friends at some magic tournament. Um, Like one of the things about these tour tournaments is now there's, you know, one in Europe, one in the U S one in Asia. And uh, for non U S players, they don't, they're never going to come to the U S because the U S government takes out a 30% tax on all your winnings. So even for somebody like Paulo, where the U.S. might be the closest players to a tournament for him to attend, it doesn't make sense for him to attend it because he just gets 30% of his winnings taken away. Um, So I'm really hopeful that there will be some kind of tournament, you know, maybe it's the players tour final, I'm not sure, where I get to see people like Paulo and Andre and Yvonne um, and just my my good friends that I've met over the course of, uh, of my other of, of the pro tour. Um, I, I really want to have some way to keep seeing those people. Yeah. Cause, cause back in the previous systems, we, we would have like, you know, the pro tour where you'd get to see these people, but usually you'd also, they'd also stick around for, you know, a GP the weekend before a GP the weekend after something like that. Uh, and everybody would be kind of in the country for a while and then disperse back. Uh, yeah. Or you'd go visit, you know, like when there was a pro tour in Europe, I went and tested in Prague where Andre and Yvonne live. And that was really cool. Um, so yeah, I'm hopeful that there's some way that that keeps working out. Yeah, so that's a worry though that it looks like that is going to be a diminished part of mag- uh, professional magic next year. Um, okay, we also this is going to be our first year with like the rivals MPL setting instead of just MPL as the the kind of 
monolithic, uh, structured professional magic. What do you think about the introduction of rivals to the uh, to the scene? Uh, too soon. <laughs> At this point, I don't think much about it because I have really no idea what it is. Like, if it's just a status that some people have and it means they play in some tournaments or whatever, I guess I don't care very much. If they have, like, a cool league that looks fun, then I will be sad that I missed it and try to get in for next year. But I, I really feel like I don't have the information to know how I should feel about it. I'm surprised you say that you just don't care if it's status. Like, isn't that all gold or platinum ever was? Like, you chase that, why wouldn't you chase this? Um. Well, for one, there was, like... Be feeling like the highest tier was achievable was important for platinum and worlds. Um, right now it doesn't feel like worlds is particularly achievable. Like you basically have to, you know, be in the top four competitors is it's just such a small number of people. Um, so that was, that's a big difference. Uh, and the change to the grand prix system that's coming up with the fractional invites makes it feel to me like it will be really easy to stay qualified for everything. I'm not, it's not really a concern of mine. So getting a status where I get to play and everything isn't, a, isn't as big a deal. And I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy the Players Tour events. You know, I, I haven't played in one. I don't know what coverage is going to be like. I don't know if they're going to feel in a similar space to Pro Tours to me. Like if, they're, if it's a thousand person tournament in the U.S. that's all U.S. players, that's a, that feels more like a Grand Prix to me than a Pro Tour. Um, and I don't think would feel as special. So I believe that is what this one is going to be. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 nervous about that being the case. Um, so you know, if if that is how things shake out, then yeah, I, I don't know. It's n- not that motivating to me to be to make the rivals league. Didn't you like the Grand Prix though? Wasn't that a, a thing that you missed about previous years? Yeah, I I would definitely happily attend those those players tour events, but I would not I would feel bad to have missed the pro that then I would be the thing I would be missing is the pro tour events that had like a true international feel where one round you'd play against a Japanese player, the next round you'd play against somebody from Greece, you know, you just it was really cool to have that that international vibe to it. And I hope that that is not lost from magic. Yeah, and there will still be big international events, but it yeah, it seems like there will be there'll be fewer of them per year than there were like this last year. Um, I mean, there'll be this there'll be three players tour finals, I think is what they've announced. And if I qualify for those, I bet I bet those will have a have a really cool feeling to them. So that's kind of my goal, I guess. They haven't said how well you have to place in the players tour to qualify for the finals, right? I don't think so. I I haven't heard. Okay. Another thing that we expect to continue this year is the arenaization of professional magic. Um, Benjamin, do you have your eyes set on playing any pro arena magic this year? Um, I mean, I'm at least going to play the MCQWs. Like, they're pretty easy to qualify for. So I think it's kind of a spew to not be doing that. And I think that... You know, spiking one tournament to play in a, in a Mythic Championship is just such good value. And and honestly, like, the Mythic Championships just look like so much fun to play that I would really like to play in one. Um, so I'm definitely going to keep doing that. I'm not entirely sure what the competitive structure of Arena looks like. I know that there's going to be a lot more competitive tournaments and that you can, you're can you going to be able to qualify for the Mythic Championships in more ways. Like, there might be 
a like season long, you know, like accumulate mythic points by playing in these like open or like arena equivalent grand prix. So yeah, I definitely might dabble in stuff like that. I I'm not entirely sure. I mean, maybe this is my own fault for not really planning it out, but I'm just not entirely sure like how much paper versus arena versus whatever magic I'm going to play. Because I mean, one one thing is I definitely like I think I want to try to play in at least two Pro Tour finals this next year. I think that's like the rough equivalent of top eighting a Pro Tour from last year is sort of how I've been treating it. Um, and so I want to do that. Uh, but I would also like to play in a Mythic Championship. So, cool. Good luck. How about you, Sam? How how are you feeling about Arena next year? Um, I am cautiously optimistic. I would say I, uh, you know, as we discussed on the last episode, Arena hasn't really been doing it for me in terms of scratching a competitive itch. So, if it turns out that there are a lot of cool Arena tournaments, I would be really happy with that and would definitely be interested in playing. Um, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I want to see is some sweet, some sweet fancy tournaments for me to play in rather than just a grind on a ladder that doesn't really, uh, hold my interest. So that's, uh, that's what I'm hoping for is some, uh, if there was a competitive arena tournament I could play in every weekend, that would, that would throw me like even just seeing these Twitch rivals tournaments or, uh, fandom legends or whatever, those look like a lot of fun to play in. I just, am not willing to put in the effort with as far as streaming goes, but competitive magic is the thing that I like. So if that's available, I'm, I'm in. What if it was like, uh, the challenges that are on magic online right now? Yeah, I'm into those. I, I could definitely imagine, you know, especially if they were connected to some broader system that would make me even more excited, but just, I, I like playing in tournaments and trying to win them. Have you followed along with the new Magic Online competitive structure next year? Have you yeah, read... I'm actually really excited. Me for too. It. Uh, okay, so you need to have like a, a PhD in flowchart reading to understand this new structure. <laughs> it's uh, which Benjamin conveniently does, so he's explained it to us. Um, but it, it is a, a daunting, daunting flowchart in that document. Um, but the gist of it is basically that you can play in any format and queue for the more higher level stuff by just playing a lot and there's some lcqs for basically everything well and, and one of the things i really like about it is uh the previous mox format was a year-long thing and it felt like you really had to at a certain point commit to playing in every mox event you know no matter when they were and for these they're only 17 weeks and you don't there's not like a points-based leaderboard that you have to compete in which is sort of a downside in that it makes it harder to qualify, but also nice in that you just, you know, you, you can commit the time whenever you have it. You don't have to, like, worry specifically about, oh, this week I didn't have, you know, I, I, I had to miss the tournament this week because it was I had a wedding or whatever. And uh, you just play when you when you want to, and if you qualify, you qualify, and it sounds like those events will be really fun. I'm curious to see how they're running the new Mox events every 17 weeks and as eight-person events. And I'm somewhat curious to see what an eight-person tournament looks like. Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. I think that's going to be an awesome like t- thing to watch on television as well, uh, assuming it's watchable on television, which I think it will be, right? I would think so, yeah. Um, if that's not watchable on television, then I'm no longer excited. Um, but as it stands right now, I think this is a, a cool, cool format. Um, and basically, you, you just... 
So you just earn these QPs from playing like leagues or challenges or preliminaries, and then you can use them to queue up for like trying to go right to the player's tour in paper, or you can use it to try and get into the Magic Online Champion Showcase uh, and through qualifiers for that. So you can basically choose to try and go for either of those paths, uh, and then either of those will get you into the tabletop PT Pro Tour Finals uh, based on yeah. how you do with them. One issue I have with them as outlined is right now every 40 every time you get to 40 QPs you basically get to play in an event that can qualify you for something and it kind of feels like it leads to this uh the rich get richer sort of scenario where if you're already qualified for the players tour you can focus all of your QPs on playing in the events that qualify you for the actual like magic online championship and it feels that that part feels a little weird to me I think they'll probably iron that out, and I think they're probably. My guess would be that they're not going to keep PTQs siloed off, needing needing a bunch of points to play in. Um, that's my hope, anyway. So we'll, we'll see where that ends up. But that that's my one reservation with the system. Mm-hmm. It's I, I don't know. It's cool, but <laughs> it, it it is a daunting flowchart to look at at the start. But I don't know. I, I I think it's a cool time for Magic Online. It's just you know obviously overshadowed in popular uh or in the the main magic budget by arena and still tabletop yeah i I think the thing to keep in mind with like the the really simplified version of the magic online flowchart is you play in events and they are new qps and when you get to 40 you can join an event that qualifies you for something if you win it that's sort of like the 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 really broad strokes thing and I, and I think that's like a decent system by in and of itself. I think that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, and you, the QPs just work for anything, and you know they you don't have to keep playing the same formats or whatever, and just all of your play is earning QPs. Uh, it's great. I, I like that a lot. Okay, uh, another change we have going into 2020. We learned this in the most recent banned and restricted update, where they said we have no changes to announce, and also we are announcing that we are no longer going to tell you when we're going to ban things or restrict things. Uh, so now, going forward, bans and restrictions will be made on Mondays at any time, any Monday. It could it could happen any any given Monday. They'll ban if they need to. Uh, what is your first take hearing about that, Sam? Um, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about that as well. I think right now there are so many Magic Premier events. That when they're like, okay, we have a ban and restricted announcement on December 17th, there's always a tournament of some format the next week. So if things aren't going well in that format, people really don't want them to shake up. You know, even if things aren't going well, people don't want them to ban something because it's just not enough time to, to prepare for your major event. Um, whereas now, what I'm hoping is like, okay, we want to ban something in modern. When is the next time that there's no big modern tournaments for a couple weeks and then we can, you know, sneak the ban in then and same for same goes for Pioneer, same goes for Standard. Um, my hope is also that there are fewer bans next year. We'll see how that works out. Yeah, my, my, my first thought on reading this was that they this was a reaction to like when they banned Field and didn't ban Oko and then a couple weeks later it was clear they needed to ban Oko but they didn't, they had, you know, had a month still before the next announcement or whatever. Uh, my thought this was more of a like wanting to avoid having to commit to bannings early uh, and not ha- and then have to like live with the format for a month. Like they they basically wanted to leave themselves a weekly out uh, to banning the next Oko. 
Uh, so that was a more pessimistic reading, perhaps, of the announcement based on the announced higher power level of, of sets going forward. Yeah, I think there's definitely some of that. But also, like, look at what happened with Pioneer and the Star City Invitational. I think they really, I, I would guess, I don't know for sure, that they wanted to ban something in Pioneer. But the, because the Invitational was a week away, they felt like their hands were tied and that it would be unfair to the players to do that. Yeah, and that well, so, would continue to not do that. Like, they would continue to not ban except under exceptional circumstances uh, a week before a major tournament. It right, certainly but I, would not be unfair to anyone. Um, it would feel unfair to like, players that have, They said, you know, they were, like, very clear <laughs> about the fact that they would be banning cards aggressively and at any time. So oh, I don't, I don't I, think that any unfairness would have occurred. I, I don't I agree no actual unfairness, but I believe the feeling of unfairness is not not really actually all that different in in magic terms than actually being unfair. Yeah. I don't believe that it would feel unfair. It happens to everyone equally also. Like not, I well, think not... I think some people would feel it's unfair. Yeah. Like if you don't have that much time to prepare, let's say you schedule yourself for this Star City tournament two week, you know, and know, okay, the week before I'm not going to have that much time to prepare, but I'll I'll work hard two weeks before and try to, you know, figure out get all my things locked down before that and then they ban something out of your deck. That's pretty brutal. Certainly they sure. could have done it with Pioneer based on what they said they were doing about Pioneer, but I think it was wise for them to let sure. a major tournament have a preparation cycle and see what happened. Uh, and I think it would have definitely felt bad to the competitors had their preparation window been impacted with a ban. Anyways, I, I think I think this is a good change. I think it's good even if they then have to use it to emergency ban Okos more often because they effectively get to emergency ban now without it being an emergency ban. Um, it's just a normal ban now. Uh, and I do think that they, this means that they can do targeted format bans at lulls in the formats cycle. So makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it seems it seems like most of the time there's been a specific ban and restricted announcement. It's been tying their hands rather than you know doing anything good for them. Yeah, the the biggest downside that I can see, well, aside from some amount of uncertainty being introduced, uh, is that I think Wizards has gotten a decent amount of good from having all ban and restricted discussions sort of confined to this period before or immediately after a ban and now it might be a little more omnipresent than it was yeah but if you look back at the past year it's always been within two weeks of a ban and restricted announcement basically in, a, in either direction right like true that's that's kind of been the nature of the, the they've had these more frequent ban updates because there's been more formats and more tournament more pro more pro level tournaments right uh that have required there to be ban announcements uh, and they've made a lot of you know, they printed a lot of Hogax and Okos. Um, okay. I, I don't know. I, I I find the personally, just on a little tangent, like the, the Twitter complaining about people talking about banner-restricted updates on Twitter is is a, is more annoying than the people complaining about banner-restricted updates or talking about banner-restricted updates. I think it's a very reasonable thing to talk about when you're talking about, you know, magic. How about the people complaining about the people complaining about the band and restrictions? I hate those people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously Twitter, Twitter is just all about, you know, complaining about one thing or another. So I I don't begrudge people complaining about seeing that kind of conversation. I just personally don't mind it. And I don't, 
I, I, I don't see this actually increasing the amount of band-restricted discussion, because I think that the, like, knowing a specific date causes you to think about bands and restrictions in a way that if it was more diffuse, you might not. Uh, but even if it does, I don't think that's a huge drawback. I don't, I don't think that it's less interesting to discuss bands and restrictions than it is to discuss the other parts of the metagame. Um, anyways, that is, I think, yeah, I think we've covered these other segments already. Benjamin, is there anything else coming in 2020 that you're you're hyped for? What what are your expectations for your year? Um, my expectations are that I will continue to play Magic. Uh, I hope to continue to improve. I think I think after plateauing for a while, I did improve a bit this year, although not as much as I would have liked. Uh, and I hope to carry that momentum with me into next year. Um, and I hope that the competitive magic scene still has a place for people like me to excel. Um, well, have people excel? like you ever excelled? Participate. Right. <laughs> Look, you, you ask me for a serious question and then you do... Sorry, you know, second question. W- would you describe momentum as like the key to your success going into this year? No, I know that's a word you use. I would not describe momentum as the key. I don't know. I Basically, I hope to continue to to play magic with my friends in fact i actually hope to play magic more with my friends next year than i did this year because i kind of feel like um i wasn't getting enough human interaction with my magic playing this last year as i would like so yeah yeah that's a good goal i'm i'm with you there i think that's that's something that i'm hoping to do a good amount of as well any other goals for you this year sam no that's that's uh, I guess try to find the fun in the OP system. This year really I think took a lot out of me. Like at the last Pro Tour, I really just did not have fun. I was I, I, I it's weird. I never feel stressed at Magic tournaments. I've I've never felt the feeling of like oh this tournament really uh, they always matter to me, but I've never felt the feeling of like oh I, you know this is it this is make or break. I'm really stressed about this except at this last pro tour and like, you know, I've played in worlds before I've played in pro tour top eights. Wow. Those things did not stress me out this, but this system did, they managed, they managed to make one that did. So I would like to have that not happen again. I, I would describe what you did at worlds more as participating than playing. Well, I've played at two worlds. One yeah. of them I actually did decently well at. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> ben, how did you do at worlds? Oh, I haven't been able to participate. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, is that better or worse than the negative one pro point that Sam got from his world? <laughs> I still wish they gave me the negative one. I, I know it would have been so funny. <laughs> Although have... if that had actually caused you to miss gold, you would have been mad probably. <laughs> I did miss gold. Well, yeah, but the negative one wouldn't have caused it, right? The negative one didn't matter at all. <laughs> so how does this work? You, you started, how, how, how exactly would you have come out with negative one points? So the, the, the formula for earning pro points at worlds that year was that you get the previous years had all been you get each match win is worth one pro point and th- that year they changed it to you get the number of match wins you have minus three that's how many pro points you get <laughs> and as it turns out for me that was a negative number <laughs> uh, that would have been it's so a funny. 16 round tournament I <laughs> 14 14 14 okay 14 round tournament. i'm sure it felt Wait, like longer maybe it was 16 uh, no i think it was 14. i'm pretty sure it was 14 <sighs> <laughs> Anyways, I, I, I too hope to have a, a nice year of, of playing Magic with friends. I look forward to maybe going to a local tournament if there are some local a local uh, Magic Fest 
if we get some good ones near here. Uh, there, oh, there are also the DreamHack tournaments. That's a big thing coming up in Magic for next year that I, I'm definitely going to attend at least one of. Um, those look pretty cool. They're 100K arena tournaments. There's three. I don't remember exactly when they all are, but they're in Atlanta, Anaheim, and uh, somewhere in Texas, I want to say Dallas, but I'm not 100% sure. Ooh. And I, I'm definitely going to make it a priority to hit up at least one of those. Are they, are they just like open tournaments? or? As far as I know, I I had some trouble finding like too many details but i'm definitely gonna gonna try make it an effort you know make a real effort to attend at least one of those i i will do my best to watch all three at least that that sounds like a really like dreamhack has made very watchable tournaments in the past so i expect they'll be able to do the same with arena um all right let's close out this week's show though and 2019 with a story from sam all right so this story comes from the last weekend i was visiting a uh, good friend of the podcast, Caroline, in the Couve, a.k.a. Vancouver. And uh, we went out to dinner. And one thing about Caroline is that she is a, a picky eater and she loves salmon. So we all sit down at the restaurant and all get menus put in front of us. And Caroline's like, ooh, I think I'm going to get the salmon. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's great. You know, Car- Caroline loves salmon and sometimes has a hard time finding things to eat. This is going to be really good. And then I'm looking at my menu and I go, Caroline, there is no salmon on the menu. And she had been given a lunch menu. And there happened to be a lunch salmon option. And she was the only one at our table who had been given a lunch menu. So she got totally tricked. Um, but then luckily we mentioned it to the waiter and he was like, you know... I think I can get you some salmon and and it all worked out in the end. And she did get her salmon as, as hoped for. So I, I was happy really hoping, end. I was really hoping the story would be that she was given a kid's menu. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been appropriate as well. Uh, well, a happy ending to a story though, and perhaps a, a fateful menu mishap there. That is going to be all for us this week. We will unite again next week for more allied strategies. Uh, you could talk about, oh, you, you could take my card of the week if you want. And I can talk about the Acroan War because I, ooh, I love that card. Oh, yeah. Oh, card my God. Oh, the Acroan War looks really sweet. Yeah, it's okay. so cool. All right, let's do that. I would love to talk about the Acroan War. Well, why don't you, wait, why do you take my card? Why don't you just talk about the Acroan War? Yeah, that's what Benjamin. you want to do. Oh, well, I thought that, you, I mean, I was going to get to talk about it anyway, but. Well, I, yeah, whatever you want. We can do it either way. Why don't you just both pick Barl's Cage and then we just don't talk about the Acron War? I have to look up this card. The Acron War? Yeah, yeah, the true reason oh, why, why Sam didn't want to switch. He didn't want to change his Skyfall oh, tab. So cool. No, I have the Acron War pulled up. Hmm. I, like I, I think this is the too. coolest saga that they've done. I think it's quite good. I do too. But I also think it's just, it's such a good top down.